Hello, everyone. This is Kevin Jennings with the Mentor Team and a co-host of this podcast, Executive Minds. And before you listen, I wanted to let you know that this is actually a replay of an episode we put out last year. And as the team knew this summer, we wanted to uh, take a short break uh, to get some new episodes in. We also spend time with our family. Uh, we wanted to put together a few episodes we thought would be really great for you to hear again uh, and to also welcome some of our newer listeners to kind of get them introduced to the archive we have here. And so we hope you enjoy today's replay of the Executive Minds podcast. Uh, subscribe because we have new episodes on the way. Enjoy. Welcome to the Executive Minds Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Shane Benson. Michael, thanks for being on the podcast today. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks, Shane. Thanks, David. Good to be with you guys. Yeah, I've yeah. got David Farmer next to me, so hey, we're going to Michael. Gonna thank you. Jump into some content here. Um, Michael has done an incredible job over the years of not only running companies, but helping other leaders grow their leadership. He currently is the CEO of Michael Hyatt and Company, and we've had the pleasure of being with him over the last three weeks um, because Chick-fil-A brought Michael in to spend time over the last three weeks with every single one of our franchisees, talking to them about planning and goal setting and balance in life and business. And so it has been a real pleasure. And so if I don't have the content by now, something is wrong with me. <laughs> and Shane, he was the only person outside of Chick-fil-A that got to spend time with our operators. So yeah. it just speaks to what I feel so think. honored. Yeah, Man. it's, it's well, warranted. The response has been terrific and it's been so well-received. I, I just could imagine not spending some time. So thank you and being gracious with your time to spend some time with us after all this is over to, to just kind of talk you about bet. the content that you've been delivering so that other listeners mm. could hear this and be more attuned to what balance looks like in their life and, and in work. You start the conversation by talking about the double win. Talk yeah. about that. Yeah. So I had this experience where 20 years ago, I got appointed to this position that I was kind of a lifelong dream, which was to be a book publisher, to be the publisher of one of Thomas Nelson's 14 divisions. But I discovered soon after I got into it that that division was dead last in every important metric, revenue growth, margin. What a great place to start. Oh, it was. And I, and I, I thought, what a gift, because I can't screw it up. <laughs> So, uh, so Shane the understands that he's the University of Tennessee football fan. Oh, that's no, kind of where shit. they start. There we go. Their we did not season. have to go there, David, this early. It's Would you all please let up, Michael Shane. talk, please? All right, here we go. So, um, so the CEO of the company asked me how long it was going to take me to turn the division around. I said three years. Long story short, we worked like crazy, my team and I. We turned it around in 18 months. We were first in revenue growth, first in margin. Team morale was great. I was elated. Uh, the hard work paid off. But I went home and I took this huge bonus check that I got, which was more than my annual salary. I thought my wife, Gail, was going to be thrilled. But as I walked in, she was a little bit less than her enthusiastic self. So after I told her the news, she said, we need to talk. She took me into the den. We sat down. And boy, I knew it was one of those, mm -hmm. you know, kind of come to Jesus moments. And she said to me, she said, look, she said, you're never home. And she said, your five girls, I have five daughters, need you. And she said, even when you are at home, you're, you're not really here. And then she said, and then she started crying when she said this. She said, you know, honestly, I feel like a single mom. And I mean, that was just like a gut kick. And I really wanted to defend myself because I think, you know, I'm doing this for you, right? I mean, there's a million and one ways we justify this kind of thing. And, but I knew she was right. 
And what I discovered was that even though I thought I was succeeding, it was a false summit. And there was a whole other part of my life that I was ignoring, which was my health, honestly, and my family, those two things in particular. And so I started asking myself the question. I mean, I, I felt like I was facing this impossible choice. And this is what I talked about the last three weeks here. This impossible choice where on the one hand, I could just hustle harder and hopefully get to the place where I'd have more time. And a lot of people deceive themselves into that. Or I thought, you know, maybe I just need to intentionally cut back my professional life, throttle back my ambition. And I thought, that, what if I didn't have to choose? You know, what if I could win at work and succeed at life? And that really sent me on a quest, which I've been on for the last 20 years. Well, I think, too, you make reference. I love the, the, the little phrases that you use, but you call it the hustle fallacy. Yeah. Um, this idea that working harder can actually work. Sometimes that's not true. Well, and it's not. And unfortunately, there are a whole lot of very popular authors and business speakers out there who are advocating hustle. And they're having a huge impact, especially on young entrepreneurs with young families. And they have no idea the wake that they're leaving behind, you know, the damage that's being done to people's health, that's being done to their family life. It's just not sustainable. And there's a better way. You know, hustle is the hard way to do it. Well, and what's so true, what rings true to me is I think everybody that's out there listening, at some point in your life, you've felt like this. You know, there's like yep. this trade-off and you're trying to figure out the trade-off and how to swing from one area to the other. And what I love is over the last 20 years, you've actually developed a model, a four-step kind of plan that allows people to, or a system that allows people to leverage the two and to actually be successful at home and work. Yes. So can we jump into that plan? Totally. That'd be great. So you call it the four-step system and there's four elements to that. Maybe we could just jump into each one of those sure. over the course of the next 20 Yeah. So minutes. step one is plan. And this is like counterintuitive because instead of hustling, I'm asking people to actually stop, to hit the pause button and to take a deep breath and say, what do I want for my life? What's the trajectory of what I'm doing now? Where is this all going? And for most of us, if, if we're honest, we don't like the outcome because nobody ever drifted to a destination they would have chosen. You end up drifting to bad places when you're not intentional. So I talk about, and I talked about with the Chick-fil-A operators about the importance of vision, you know, of getting crystal clear on what you want, you know, three to five years in the future, but not just in your work life, but in all the major domains of your life. So your marriage, what do you want in your marriage? What do you want with your health? What do you want with your hobbies? What do you want with your finances? But to get crystal clear, to reduce that to writing and to state it in the present tense, I think is enormously helpful. Daniel Harkavy and I wrote about that process in our book, Living Forward, but it's about developing a life plan. Well, you describe, and I love this, you describe a vision as stand in the future and describe a better, more compelling reality. Yes. I love that. So stand in the future yep. and begin to think about or describe a better, more compelling reality. You have been paying attention. That's I awesome. Have. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so the idea is transport yourself to the future, and I don't care how far you are along or how well you're doing, the truth is you can always do better. So I've been married for 41 years. I have a great marriage, but it's not as good as it's going to be next year. And it's not, going to be, it's not as good as it's going to be in three years or five years because I'm committed to growing that relationship. Same thing is true for my health. I'm 64 years old. I feel like I'm in the best health of my life. And, and it's not just my subjective opinion, but I get rigorous medical tests and all that stuff. But I'm not as in good a health as I'm going to be in five years because I'm paying attention to that stuff. But it all starts with a vision. And I think that that's, that's what is often lacking. 
Now, if you're listening to this podcast, I think oftentimes you find yourself, we've we've used uh, this methodology before. We talk about smart goals or smarter goals. Yes. You reference that. But I want to, there's a nuance to the way that you've, you build out this, uh, this strategy. And so, you know, smarter stands for specific, measurable, actionable. But then the R, which typically means realistic, you changed that a little bit. I did. And this was based on the best goal achievement research that's been done in the last 20 years. And what you'll find is that goals that are realistic do not really compel your best thinking. They don't ignite your imagination. They don't really motivate you to work toward them. The goal has to be risky, which means it has to be in your discomfort zone. Mm -hmm. And the reason you know, or the way you know that a goal is in your discomfort zone is you feel uncomfortable. You know, so you're going to feel some fear, some uncertainty, or some doubt. If you don't feel that when you're setting a goal, if you think, oh, this is a slam dunk, I've done this before, I know exactly how to do it, that's not risky enough. That's going to bore you too quickly, and you will likely not achieve it. So the goal's got to be risky. But while it needs to be in your discomfort zone, it can't be in your delusional zone. Mm. That's good. Um, so to finish this out, you've got, again, specific, measurable, actionable, risky, time-based, exciting and relevant. Yes. So talk about exciting and relevant a little bit. Yeah. So exciting is a little bit like risky, but there's been a lot of goal achievement research done around this idea of people's perceived excitement about the goal. And in fact, the most recent study I've read on this said it's the single biggest predictor on whether or not you achieve the goal. If you're excited about it, if you're not excited about it, they can tell on the very front end, if you're not excited about the goal, if you indicate that you're not excited probably low likelihood that you're going to achieve it. You're just not going to have the motivation to stay the course and make it through the messy middle. So excitement's key. One of the ways I sometimes think about that, can I even avoid thinking about the goal or I just can't help myself. I go go. there anyway. If I have to pull out a plan and force myself to think about it, there's something that may not be quite compelling enough. Yeah. And that's, that's the problem with new year's resolutions. It's oftentimes things we should do or we ought to do. It's just stuff we don't want to do. Yeah, And so you could have hundreds of projects during the year, but for it to be a goal, it's got to be exciting. So if somebody says, well, like I had somebody come to me one time, they said, I'm having a really hard time with this goal. I'm just not excited about it. I said, well, tell me the goal. So I got to get caught up with my accounting. I've got to get some transactions entered. I'm just kind of behind in my accounting. I said, are you excited about that goal? She said, absolutely not. I said, well, then it's a project, not a goal. You know, it could still be a project, but it can't be a goal. Yeah. A buddy of mine one time around a, uh, a fitness goal. He said, I want you to think about a skiing trip that you're on with your kids. And what, what would you want the outcome to be? And I said, well, I'd want to beat them down the hill. And all of a sudden that got really exciting. It was like, it, I'm doing lunges, I'm doing squats. I'm like trying to get ready for the skiing trip because I wanted to outlast my boys going down this hill. And it's like, it's a great example a to example. me of what an exciting goal can look like. So thanks for taking us through that. Yeah. It's great. So set smarter goals definitely when you're thinking about planning. Let's move to the next one if we can. Okay. So you got plan and then your next one is focus. focus. So until you have a plan, you don't have anything to focus on, right? So this is where people get the card at before the horse. But once you've got a plan, once you've got clarity about your goals, now it's time to focus. The best way to focus is, is to, to acknowledge, first of all, that you can't do everything. You know, and I feel like sometimes with a task list, it's like a wicked game of whack-a-mole. You know, you check one thing off, two more things get added. You know, so you like can never get ahead of it. Well, the truth is, and David Allen says this, you can do anything you want, you just can't do everything you want. So what are the high leverage tasks, the things where I can really drive the results in my business and my life. 
if I can't do everything, what are the things that are really critical? So what I teach is that the areas where you have the most passion and the most proficiency, those two things, we call that your desire zone. That's the place where you're hardwired by God to actually achieve. Those are the things where you're going to have sustained momentum. Those are the things that you're going to execute with excellence. Those are the things that are going to drive the results in your business. And the good news is it's a lot fewer of those items than your entire task list. So then directly opposite of that is what I call the drudgery zone. This is where you have no passion and you have no proficiency. And this is where we get bored. We hate that kind of stuff. And it's, it's just a bad use of our time. And that's why we can go through the entire day doing a lot of drudgery zone kind of activity work and feel like, I don't even know what I did today, but I'm exhausted. I know I worked hard, but it wasn't the kind of work in your desire zone that drives results. It's just busy work or worse, fake work. I tell you, I know I find myself struggling to get a lot of momentum when I'm not focused, but one, I just bounce around a little bit or I find myself at my honest kind of locked up a little bit. What I do next, where do I start? Yeah. And a little bit of the planning on the front end and, and, and locking down on what it is I'm trying to do. And, uh, it frees me up. It makes all the difference in the well, world. Well, it, it helps me, for example, when I have requests, like we all get from email and voicemail and somebody just making a verbal request, you know, if it's not my desire zone, I ask myself the question first, do I have passion? Do I have proficiency? Mm. That's the filter. If I don't, it may need to be done, but it doesn't need to be done by me. And you shared a couple definitions, which I think would be uh, helpful. You, when you talk about passion, you talk about what you love to do. Yep. And when you talk about proficiency, I love this. You talk about what you're good at and how, how does it get you results? I think it's how yes. you said it. What drives results. What drives results. So not only you've got to be good at it, but it's also got to drive results. It's like me, I love to sing. And I sing a lot in the shower. I sing a lot at home. I just can't make any money at it. That's exactly I'm right. I'm not proficient at it. Yep. And I may be passionate about it, but I'm not proficient at it. So I've got to find those things, the intersection of where passion and proficiency kind of connect That's right. is that desire zone. And, and for most people, it's a handful of things. Yeah. So for me, it's three things. If it's not one of these three things, I don't do it. So unless it's creating content, delivering content, or really focus on vision for the future of my company, I don't do it. Somebody else on my team, Ooh, it goes to them. Good. So I stay in my lane. So in order to do that, um, once you figure that out, then you got to execute. Yes. So we've already talked about how to plan, how to focus. Now let's talk about how to execute. So this is, I think this is where the rubber meets the road. Right totally. Here. Yeah. So talk about your three by three achievement system. Cause I think that's a, that's a game changer. Yeah, this is a game changer and, and execution is hard. You know, I think everybody that runs a company would admit it's hard to get execution to happen. And I've been a part of so many uh, strategic planning retreats where, you know, we develop this amazing plan, come back to the office, put it on the shelf, and it really doesn't inform our daily actions. So the key is to link those things together, you know, sort of that, that vision, those smarter goals with our daily actions. And we do that with the three by three achievement system, which means, first of all, three quarterly goals. Now, this sounds like an impossibly small number of goals, but the truth is, and I learned this from Chris McChesney and his friends at Franklin Covey and the Four Disciplines of Execution, you've got a whirlwind of activity that you're already trying to maintain. That commands most of your attention, most of your focus, most of your capital, right? So a goal by definition is going to be something outside the whirlwind. It's a new initiative, a new improvement, something that you have to limit in order to multiply your achievement. So the best goal achievement research says that three and no more than three goals per quarter. That's a combination of personal and professional. 
So identify those first. So just to get down in the weeds a little bit, I yeah. could, I might at a certain quarter, I may have three professional goals or two professional goals and a personal goal That's or right. three personal goals, but it's the combination of those two. Yes. Things. Okay. Is and there a, do you have a recommended number? Uh, no, do I don't. Like, like sometimes in the summer, for example, when I take my annual sabbatical, I take 30 days off every summer, then I may have three personal goals for that quarter. Mm. But I, I would say there's, there's a whole methodology we have for the team implementation of this so that it cascades down through the organization. So we will have three top-level goals for the, for the company, but I may be the owner of one of those. You gotcha. know what I'm saying? Yes. So somebody has an owner, so I don't have to own those top three. So, um, so yeah, it starts with the three quarterly goals and just to narrow your focus there on those three, then three weekly objectives. So we advocate and teach, and it's baked into my planner, the full focus planner, the idea of a weekly preview where a part of that process is to identify three objectives for the coming week. So in other words, of all the things that you could do, not all things are created equal. Some are going to drive results. Some are going to be related to goals. Some might be busy work. Some may be things that other people request that have really not a lot to do with what you're trying to accomplish. So what are the big three? The big three that if you could accomplish these, you would finish the week and say, that was a win. And I think the principle there is, you know, similar to the 80-20 principle. You may have, on average, you may have 15 things that you're working on in a given week. But That's if right. You, if you leverage the 80-20 principle, you go, hey, those three those are the will have brothers. the greatest impact on the overall success of your week. Which brings us to the daily big three. Okay. So this was a game changer for me. It's profoundly simple. In fact, I would say deceptively simple. But the average person, people who use task lists, the research shows, have 15 items on their task list in any given day. Mm. So again, using the Pareto principle, which you just cited, you know, if you, if you say that 20% of those, three, will drive 80% of the results, what are the three things that I could do today that are either going to be related to a goal or a project? The key is they have to be important. They can't be merely urgent. They can be urgent, but they also have to be important. So what are the three things that I, that I need to get done today to move the ball down the field? Now, the thing I love about this is it completely reinvents the game. Because when you start with 15 tasks, you're overwhelmed when you start. You know, there's not a prayer. There's not a chance, unless you're just super caffeinated that day, not a chance you're going to get 15 items done. So you go to bed at the end of the day, even if you got eight done, more than half, you still feel defeated because you got seven left undone. That's not a way to start or end your day. Well, and you might be able to sustain that for four days, five yeah. days, maybe a week, but you cannot, you cannot maintain that for long periods of time. And, and I'll tell you what, I don't like feeling like I'm losing all the time. Yeah. I want a game where I feel like I'm winning because I show up in a different way for myself, for my family, for my employees when I feel like I'm winning. And they do too. So that's the three by three achievement system. So three goals, three weekly priorities, and then three daily tasks. Can I ask you a question about that, you Michael? Can. The three quarterly goals, do they ladder up to a longer term? Like we talked about three to five years a moment ago. Do they feed into a three they to do. five year goal? Yeah. So, so for example, milestones in effect towards something even bigger? Yes. So for example, in, in my company, we've just gone through a couple of weeks of strategic planning. We didn't do it every day for two weeks, but we did a process for the last couple of weeks. So we start with the vision, you know, what is it that, that, where do we see ourselves in the next, we use three years as a time horizon that feels about right for our kind of business. And then we ask ourselves the question, what are our three-year goals and what are the milestones? And then with the focus on now, now that we've got the strategic plan done, and it's a lot more than that, but then it's the annual plan. So then we're going to have 12 goals for the year and those are going to be broken out three per quarter. That's, good. Oh, that's great. Super and helpful. We were talking a little bit before the podcast 
you're not the person who like the landscaper whose yard does not look good. You are obviously practicing what you're preaching because you're generating enormous growth in your business too. So you're, you're exhibit A. Well, thank you. Yeah, we grew 62% last year. In the last three years, we've been on the Inc. 5000 for the fastest growing private companies in the U.S. But I, I see my business as a lab. Yeah. And my rule for my company, I said, we do not export anything that we're not using or that hasn't worked for us. So our clients cannot be our guinea pigs. We're the guinea pigs. So it's got to work for that's us great. first. Well, and that's a great transition. So we've talked about plan. We've talked about focus. We've talked about execute. And this is a, ter a terrific way to kind of cap the, the four, this ability to scale. You think about your business yeah. and where it's gone, but you think about it as an individual, this ability to scale, I think is so important. Talk a little bit about the power of delegation and what that is and what that isn't. <clears throat> well, well, sometimes uh, when people hear the word scale, they're not quite sure what we're talking about. We're just, you know, it's just kind of the buzzword now for growing, right? It's not a reptilian thing of losing your scales, but it's growing. And so you can't grow your business. You can't scale your business unless you can scale yourself. So far, technology does not make it possible for us to clone ourselves. So the next best thing we can do is delegate. But the problem is we encounter immediately when we start delegating a lot of obstacles. And I talked about three mistakes that leaders typically make in delegation. One is they hesitate. They just don't do it. And the reason they don't, they don't delegate is because they have these limiting beliefs about delegation. And it shows up in one of three sentences. You know, first of all, the first one is if I want it done right, I've got to do it myself. And all of us have thought that, mm. right? The second one is uh, it takes longer to explain how to do it. I might as well just do it myself. The third one is, I can't afford to hire that additional team member. I guess I'll have to do it myself. And as long as myself is the end of those three statements, then you're basically stuck with yourself. Your, your business is capped. It will never grow beyond you. So we have to develop the motivation and the technology and the wherewithal to be able to overcome that hesitation. The second mistake, though, people make is they abdicate. So they are overwhelmed like we were talking about before, they dump and run. They basically assign something to a subordinate with very little expression of what they expect. There's no progress monitoring. And then they're shocked when the project is not met to their specifications, which, oh, by the way, they didn't take time to articulate. And so then that's when people start thinking, I just need better team members. No, you need to articulate what it is you expect. Mm, and so people can't read your mind and unless you're explicit. And by explicit, I mean writing it down so you can have a conversation about the expectations and why it's important and all the rest. You're not going to get the results you want. The third mistake is to suffocate. This is maybe the deadliest of the deadly sins, but this is where you micromanage and nothing slows down progress mm. or acceleration, decelerates your business like micromanagement. Because it's, it's in those situations that people get very discouraged, people leave your business, people just, nobody wants to work for a micromanager. People have to have a perceived level of autonomy. And so if you're micromanaging them, that'll keep them from having I that. I think this is a, um, it's a mistake that younger leaders make often. I know I did, at least Me when too. I was getting started. In an effort, you, you've got your first big opportunity and you do need to do some delegation. You've resigned yourself to the fact that you can't do it yourself, which is great. So you hand over part of that project, but it's your first one. And you're like, this has got to be right. And so your tendency is to lean in and un actually unintentionally suffocate the per the people that you're asking yep. to do work because you're, you're so vested. 
any thoughts on how do you help, how do you give advice to somebody that's like getting started that wants to really delegate, but is, has a tendency to kind of hang on a little bit? Yeah, I think, first of all, you got to make sure that you give them a tool or a mechanism for them to be able to cast that vision to the person they're delegating to so that it's preferably in written form if it's a bigger project, so that it just has kind of the sketch of what I expect and what it looks like when it's done successfully. And then I would suggest to them that, look, you want to check in, and it depends on how long it is, what the time horizon is, but checking in once a week, monitoring progress, but identify the milestones where you need to sort of dip in and sample the brew, but don't do it too much. I mean, it's like opening the oven too much and the cake goes flat. Yeah, I love that. So uh, a very clear outcome with some key milestones yep. and then just check-ins. That it. is a good way to do it. And where, where we have problems as leaders sometimes is we're not clear about those expectations and therefore we feel like we check in more often. That's right. Yeah, that's good. Um, right. Go ahead. I was just going to ask Michael if there's one of these four steps that you think people struggle with the most, one that tends to trip people up, or could it be it just depends on how you're wired? Yeah, I think it depends on how you're wired. I mean, there's some people that are prone – to plan. They love to plan, but they never get out of planning. You know, they can't execute. And I, I think probably execution is the, is the most common malady of all. Focus is a big problem too, because of it, our distraction world. But I would say that execution is the biggest. You answered a question today that I thought was really good. The question was really good and your answer was even better. But the question was, hey, if I'm just getting started, What's the first thing you would recommend somebody does? And and honestly, I'm a little bit hesitant to get into this whole thing of putting three and doing all this stuff. It overwhelms me. What advice would you give to somebody to just get started? Yeah, I would say focus on the daily big three. That, more than anything else, could be a game changer for you. So just focus on doing those daily big three every day until you get momentum, and then you can grow from there. But the thing I find about that, you know, people say, well, I, I, I'm so easily distracted. If you don't have a focal point, you will be distracted. Mm. The thing about the big three is it gives you that focal point. It's just like, okay, look at these big three. Do not do anything else until you get these big three done. Then you can do whatever else you want, or you can declare the day of victory and go home. But focus on those big three. What do you say to the people that just tend to resist process, structure? Honey, if you're listening, Michael's about to ask, uh, answer your question here as well. <laughs> Well, this is I, for you, Mallory. I, I would say that, first of all, how we're hardwired is something that's important as a leader to become self-aware about. I mean, this is why I use self-assessments, like whether it's Myers-Briggs. I love Colby, for example. Are you guys familiar with that? Mm -hmm. You know, we use Colby extensively in our business. The Enneagram, all those are helpful because as a leader, more than anything else, you need self-awareness. So, for example, if you're a person that, like as an Enneagram 7, you know, who's the adventurer, who's just bazillion ideas a minute, and this is a lot of entrepreneurs, by the way, just lots of ideas, but they have a hard time following through or executing. You know, it doesn't mean you have to necessarily get better at follow through. It might help a little bit, but you're going to be far better to stay focused on your strengths and hire somebody or pair yourself with somebody that can complement who you are. And I would say the biggest mistake that I see young leaders making is they try to clone themselves by hiring people that are replicas, that are exact replicas of themselves worst possible thing you can do. You want people that are different, people that complement your strengths, complement your weaknesses. That's when it works best. Yeah, I think that's been true in the history of Chick-fil-A is uh, Truett had a phenomenal uh, leader that complimented him well. Uh, Dan Cathy, Tim Disopolis today, same type of thing. Yeah, they, they are, they've done a really good job of 
delineating between where I feel the most desire and where I feel the most drudgery. And yeah. It's complimenting yourself yep. in those two areas for sure. It's like, you know, let me focus on what I love to do and get other people to focus on the stuff that I don't like to do. And to your point, I mean, I think this is really helpful. If you're not naturally wired to do this, find somebody that is, because as leaders, we do like accomplishing goals. Right. We Absolutely. may not necessarily have the right systems in place to do that, but there's nobody out there that doesn't like accomplishing a goal. So surround yourself with people that can help you do That's that. That's right. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, I find leaders, they can do it, but they may not do it at the level of someone else. And so as you grow, you might have had to do it yourself for a season, but could you find somebody that could get it to another level and enable you to focus on the thing that you're particularly gifted well, at? Well, great segue, too, because – you've actually made a career of helping people accomplish their goals. I mean, you have put systems True. and processes and coaching together in a systemized format to allow people to reach some of these big, hairy, audacious goals they're going after. And so talk a little bit more about that. Like if, if our listeners out there are interested in learning more about some of these products that you have, some of these assessments that you have, where would they go to do that? Yeah, I would say a couple of places. I've written a couple of books on this. So my most recent book is called Free to Focus, and it's all about productivity. And it's a lot about this thing that we call the freedom compass with the desire zone and the drudgery zone. And there's two other zones that are important too that we haven't had time to talk about in these sessions. But the other book is Your Best Year Ever, which is my book on goal achievement. In addition to that, I have a coaching program for people that really want to go deeper and want the accountability and want to be sort of have their feet held to the fire. And it's not, we're not holding their feet to our fire, but to what they want to accomplish and to help them accomplish their goals. We've seen phenomenal results. Our average client sees their business grow 67% a year in the first year. Wow. Buckle your seatbelt. Yeah. But in addition to that, the average client gets 11 hours back a week. Ooh. Mm. So that's kind of our promise. How do you achieve more by doing less? That's, that fascinates me. So if I'm out there and I'm listening to this podcast, when should I get started? When would now be a good time to get started? <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, and you've, you've talked about that. You know, now is the best time ever because the longer you wait, the further you drift. That's it. The, the, the longer you wait, the further these things get out of alignment and the, the more you wait to plan or design, the more you drift. And you may get to a place where you can't come back. And for me, I don't want to wait till I go through a divorce to figure out that I need to make my marriage a priority. I don't want to have a heart attack to realize I need to make my health a priority. I don't want, you know, my business to fail before I realize I need to get my act together in my business. So the best time to do it, the cheapest time to do it is now. Well, and we're in a season right now where it's a great time as you think about coming into the back half of the year, the third, the fourth quarter of the year. It's a great time to set aside some time, uh, create some margin in your schedule to at least begin thinking mm -hmm. about these things. So maybe take this podcast, re-listen to it, begin to think about it. And then if you're interested in some resources, where could they go specifically, your website? How, how would they go to get some maybe some resources? Yeah, the best place to go for everything related to me is just Michael Hyatt. Com, and that's Hyatt Like the Hotel with H-Y-A-T-T. Uh, our coaching program is at businessaccelerator.com. Fantastic. Well, Michael, I can't thank you enough. This has been awesome. What a great, powerful Thanks, 30 minutes to just get to spend time talking about our plan, balance in our life, and how can we be successful in both areas of our life. So I just want to say thank you. On behalf of Chick-fil-A, thank you for investing in all of our franchisees over the last couple of weeks. But uh, most importantly as well, thanks for investing in, in listeners across the world as they listen to ways to 
improve themselves. Absolutely. Thank you guys. Yeah, it's been a treat. I've listened to your podcast, read your books. So you'll love to be able to just get face to face and hopefully introduce some new listeners to all the phenomenal content you've got. Well, thanks. I'm honored. All right, y'all. Until next time, we'll see you back on Executive Minds. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening to the Executive Minds podcast. We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. For more show notes and helpful resources, visit executiveminds.co. That's executiveminds.co.